Hello, everyone. I'm Emma Swain. I'm the CEO at St. Supri Estate Vineyards and Winery here in the beautiful Napa Valley. I'm so excited to have here today with me Chef Kyle Connaughton, chef, culinary educator, and cookbook author, and owner and founder of Single Thread Farms in Healdsburg, the three Michelin starred restaurant in an inn located in the heart of downtown Healdsburg. Lead certified and carbon neutral, trained in Japan under famed chef Michael Bross former head chef of research and development for Fat Duck and contributor to Modernist Cuisine Series. We're so excited to have Kyle with us today and really honored because, you know, Kyle, you're such a proponent of sustainable seafood and sustainable everything on your plate. It's really an honor to have you here. We we love to focus on sustainability in the glass and the plate at the table. And Single Thread has a, a core focus of sustainability in all aspects of what you do at the restaurant, inn, and farm. Was sustainability part of the philosophy from the beginning? And, and where did that passion come from? Um, yeah, well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for speaking to me about these, uh, uh, these, these topics is a really important topics that we all, um, discuss. Obviously it's fun to always talk about what we do creatively and, you know, the dishes and all, you know, all the fun things, but it's really important to, to really look at, um, what goes on, you know, beyond behind that creativity and the philosophy and sort of the driving force. And, you know, we, we do call ourselves single thread farm restaurant and in, cause we are, um, uh, we are driven by our farm. We're driven by what well, my wife uh, Katina grows out on our farm and the seasons and what we're harvesting at, at any given moment and what's at the best quality. And that very much drives everything that we do and all the choices that we, um, that we make. And, you know, our, our farm is working so hard and they're working for months and months to produce, you know, a vegetable that we in the kitchen only have for a few hours and then serve that night. So, you know, really what we're doing is, is we're really translating all that hard work of the farmer and, and really trying to sort of showcase that in a way where we're, we're, it's through the farmer's eyes and, and kind of in the kitchen, really, we're more a conduit to sort of like share that hard work of the farm. Um, and we're really harvesting and cooking, uh, to be honest at the moment, what Katina is most excited about and what, um, is at its absolute peak. So that is really the driving force. It's really a kind of sense of place of, of Sonoma County, but also at the same time, very much the time in that place of like this moment today, this is what's happening today through the ingredients, through the vegetables, um, but also the seafood in down to the, the, the flowers that are incorporated into the room and into the dishes and the experience because my wife grows all of the floral as well, or she's gathering it from the wild. So we're really trying to tell a story about today. This is today, um, you know, through our eyes and in particular her eyes. Um, and we're really sharing that moment in time with you. And, uh, and then you're having this moment in time with the guests that you're enjoying that um, meal with. And, you know, that's how we continue to have guests come back to experience it at different, at different times of the year and, uh, and have the, you know, the different experience. And so that being our, um, our driving force really has, um, you know, I think kind of led us down a path where all decisions are made, you know, based on those things. It's like, what is happening now? What is, are we in this moment? You know, what is in season? What is at its peak? You know, what, 
And then, and then behind that was like, what are the products that we actually uh, believe in? So, you know, we are a no-till farm, you know, we do everything by hand. Our farm, which is 24 acres in the Dry Creek Valley is a full permaculture center. So it's that, you know, means both apiaries for bees, we have a habitat for migratory birds. You know, we're bringing biodiversity to, um, you know, to an area that's predominantly grapes. And we're on the river, so there's a lot about our riverfront and the habitat for the steelhead, which spawn right along our our, um, our riverfront. So there's a lot that goes into that. So the same amount of sort of thought and care really has to go into everything. And we we serve very little animal protein in terms of land animal protein at the restaurant, and that which we do are ducks that we have raised for us, um, you know, locally by, um, by one family who raises a, raises a breed called Duclair ducks for us. And, and we've worked out everything together in terms of their habitat, their feed, um, you know, everything. We also have out in the Knights Valley, we have a small Wagyu farm that we're doing hundred percent purebred Wagyu that we raised right here in Sonoma, where it, again, it's another project about biodiversity to the, to the land. It's a free, you know, free range, grass fed, grain finish, you know, animal that's on 300, you know, acres, very, very small herd of cattle, again, about um, uh, land management, you know, there. So all of these kinds of same philosophies definitely go uh, over into something that we're really passionate about, you know, which is the seafood that we, um, uh, that we serve at Single Thread. So, um, you know, it's uh, really about looking at what is, you know, first and foremost in season and has the high quality that we, you know, we expect to have at the restaurant and I guess would expect at a three Michelin star restaurant. But behind that is like knowing the fisheries, knowing their practices um, and being able to sort of speak to the sustainability of that seafood. And in order to do that, um, you know, quite honestly, you have to, you know, rely on very good people that you have these relationships with, but you have to put the time in and we go and visit the fisheries in Japan, if it's in Japan or in California and really our, our fish, our seafood sourcing comes pretty much solely from what we call the North coast, which would be really anywhere, say from kind of, uh, you know, Santa Barbara, um, a little bit, but, you know, more, up sort of like Carmel way all the way up, you know, maybe to, to Washington. So, you know, that's our main seafood um, sourcing area. And, and, and quite a bit of that is along the Sonoma and Mendocino coast with fisheries that we know really well, whether it's black cod or Dungeness crab or, um, you know, sea urchins and, or Japan. And so um, we have uh, some really interesting supply lines. We have a rep embedded in the market in Tokyo who we communicate every day with images of, um, of everything. Um, and we have, uh, a very rigid specs on our seafood and I go and walk the market at Toyosu market in Tokyo quite often. Obviously the pandemic has, um, has, uh, impeded that, but normally I'm out there, you know, quite often and we're walking the market together. We're talking about our quality. We're talking about our sustainability pro- protocols and we're always working on, um, uh, on making those things, you know, better. So, you know, it's, it's just a passion for it. And, you know, ultimately it reflects in the quality, but also we're able to tell these stories to our guests. And that's a really important thing for them to appreciate good food systems, whether that's about seafood sustainability or, you know, organic farming or any of these things. It's really about 
how we have this opportunity in this platform to be able to sort of speak to that. And rather than trying to preach from a soapbox, we're really trying to, you know, entice guests and people through a sort of love and a passion for, you know, for, for, for food, you know, to care about these issues. Yeah, it's so important. And one of the things that you said that I really loved is that you're just what's happening in the moment. And I think today when we when we go out to dine, when we go to have an experience, it's really stopping and having a moment that enables us to have a quality experience, but also um, the way that you're farming and the way that you're sourcing, it's of course the highest quality food experience that you can have while also um, being able to sort of ground yourself. I love that um, combination. Now, um, how did how did sustainable seafood in particular and blue food kind of become a driving force in your cuisine? Was it the time that you spent in Japan? Um, yeah, it, it really, I, I lived in Japan for many years. Uh, I've spent basically a lifetime, you know, uh, over there traveling there, went to culinary school, Japanese culinary school, then an apprenticeship, then moved there with my family for many years. And then I spent another two years writing a book about, um, uh, Japanese, uh, earthenware. So I spent, uh, um, a few years in Japan before opening single thread, researching Japanese earthenware and spending time with the artisans and the families, not only learning about the pottery itself, but cooking using Japanese clay pots. And so I just have spent a lot of time traveling through, through Japan and living in Japan and in particular in very rural areas. Um, we actually lived um, for three years in Hokkaido, Japan. So the North Island on a right on the water in a very, very small, very remote um, scallop fishing village. And uh, there was different, a lot of seafood all around us from sea urchin to the harvesting of kelp uh, for making kombu uh, to more long line fishing. And, uh, but our particular village, a small village called Toyura, where we lived was a very famous um, a scallop fishing bay. And I got to know, you know, the fisher fishermen really well. It was a small agricultural community. My wife was farming there. Um, and that's where she was starting her farming and her floral, um, career. And uh, I was cooking and, but the, the, everyone in our town, and we had our two young daughters at the time who were four and nine who moved there with us and, in living, you know, going to a small school and really all of the, the families at that school were, um, uh, in the town were either fishermen or farmers. And so those were our friends. And we got to learn a lot about what they do and how they do that. My wife learned a lot of her farming techniques, um, you know, there, and I learned a lot about um, the uh, fishing techniques and really these sort of more, slightly more ancient fishing techniques that have been brought into the modern age, but not really modernized or mechanized, still very much done by hand. So, you know, we were in a very, you know, seafood predominant area, sea urchin diving and all kinds of things in that area. So I had a real love and passion for it. And then I worked in sushi restaurants and kaiseki restaurants in Japan where, you know, the seafood sourcing was like really like the main topic of discussion around there. I spent a lot of time in Skiji market and then, you know, now Toyosu market, but also in smaller markets all over uh, Japan and the Kansai region of Japan on the East coast and the West coast. And just got exposure to a lot of different fisheries and just have continued to go and visit these fisheries and 
get out on boats or get, you know, into the, into the, into the bay and re- really like understand, you know, the different practices and now getting to see some of the different, uh, you know, not just wild caught, but some of the projects that are, that are going on, you know, and now more recently have become really interested in what's going on with Sakana blue and some of the work that they're doing up in the, in the North, uh, you know, of Japan, which is particularly exciting for me because, it's a combination of looking at sort of generational um, techniques of uh, the, the different fisheries, uh, whether it's with the the, uh, the trouts or the ocean trouts or the bream or various things that they're um, that they are you know more ranching rather than it's not aquaculture on land uh, you know dry land aquaculture, but really sort of more like the sort of ranching and and really supporting the natural habitat and some of the natural systems uh, there rather than just creating, um, uh, you know, new systems, but this sort of combination of taking these sort of historical generational, um, you know, practices and then bringing them into the modern age where, you know, really looking at some of the harvesting techniques and the, 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 the water system management techniques are quite ancient, but a lot of the, um, the then processing techniques are quite modern. And so you're looking at this combination, which Japan does so well, like Japan is amazing culturally at this juxtaposition of like of ancient and modern, you know, like that reflects in like cities and how they're laid out in architecture and all kinds of things about the culture of like, it isn't a, a this or that. It isn't like the, the old way or the new way. This real combination of history and legacy and good practices put into sort of modern, um, uh, you know, form for, you know, for whether it's for food safety and, you know, for, you know, for rapid temperature cooling and that type of thing, but also sort of processing deep freezing and then moving, you know, products in such a way where you're not air shipping and having real inefficiencies in some of your packing, you're have a very, very small footprint in terms of how you're able to pack. So you can very, very efficiently and a little bit more slowly move the highest quality, um, you know, fish, fish around. So it's not only the sustainability as in terms of the sea, it's the sustainability in terms of the, the lowering the carbon footprint of the transport, right? Those are two separately separate, but very, very important things. So it's really exciting to see what's going on, you know, with that. And it is a little bit of a retraining of the way that we as chefs think about seafood, but also how we talk to our guests about that, right? It's like, everyone has been like, this is the freshest fish and it just came off this boat. And then boom, 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 went to Tokyo. And now, you know, here it is. And, and, you know, we've been doing that, you know, for a long time and that's great. However, you know, it is not the most efficient way and is not the best way environmentally. And so now, you know, we have to look at saying, actually, we're going to get high quality fish produced in a sustainable way, very, very quickly processed, uh, you know, deep, uh, going through a deep, a rapid deep freezing process. That's not going to allow ice crystal formation in the fish. And then we're going to transport it in a way that is much more environmentally, you know, sound. And then we're going to, this just like, 
you know, this means that we have to retrain ourselves as chefs and we have to be talking about this, you know, this change, this good change. And then we need to educate, you know, the guests on that, because for a lot of guests, they would say, well, that sounds not like, you know, the best quality or the premium quality, or so that's going to have some impact on, on quality, but, you know, really and truly it's, it's not. And so, you know, it, it is, it's like many things that have, have come recently. It's like we do have to retrain ourselves and our guests. Yeah, I think I think one of the things, too, that you you said about having someone on the ground in Japan and and talking about how the product, how the fish is getting to you is important because it's that traceability. Right. It's it's like having our own certifications like we have a Napa Green certification. It's showing the proof and ensuring that what you're getting is the sustainable seafood that you purchase, knowing exactly where it came from and um, and utilizing the that flash frozen technology is huge in ensuring you have better quality, particularly when you're bringing it, you know, halfway around the world. Yeah. Well, I think if anyone knows anything and just for the layperson, just for the diner probably is pretty aware that traceability in seafood is one of the most challenging things. I mean, I think we all know there's like all kinds of misnaming of fish and provenance and all kinds of things, right? It's a very, challenging world and you know the way that we've and i have decided to sort of navigate that for myself is is that i go and see it for myself and then i don't want to know secondhand i i need to see it for myself to know exactly the whole chain uh, uh you know of that and i try to eliminate as many people in between the fish and me as as I possibly can, because I, 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 then I know what the cold chain is and I know everyone involved, but, but we're such an outlier that we can actually even do that. Who, who can really do that? It's not practical for people in food service and restaurants and things like that to, to do that. It's such a, it's such a unique opportunity that we, um, that we have and have put the work in, you know, to, to do, which is why I feel really committed to saying like, Hey, like we got to work on ways to expand this out and make things accessible because it really is not practical for everyone to have to be able to trace themselves every single product that they come to the door. It's just simply not not possible. So we do need better systems for traceability. Yeah, I mean, we definitely rely on the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch Guide. Um, for many of the choices that we make. And I know a lot of your um, colleagues do as well. What, what are other areas that chefs should consider in selection and, and sourcing when they're trying to move to a sustainable um, menu and, and need to be able to find um, and know that their source is true? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I, I think that, that, right, that has been a guiding light for so many uh, people for so long. And it's an amazing resource, you know, resource like that and resources like it. The challenge is, right, is, is that, um, you know, a lot of those categories can be quite broad. And then, you know, you have to look at sort of like the specific fisheries then and the, you know, the seasons and the methods, you know, that people are using and understand that there is a lot of um, you know, there's a lot of bait and switch, uh, that goes along with that of people saying, Hey, this, I'm going to, I'm going to call this, this, right. There's so much diversity in the ocean 
you know, people don't really understand like how many different things you can call a bream, you know, like, I mean, there's hundreds of different fish that kind of fit into that category of, you know, of like snappers and breams. And it's like, okay, well, what, you know, where, where specifically is coming from and what method and, you know, what is the ecosystem, you know, of that, or, you know, Hey, we're just going to call this, this, because that's the closest name and it's associated with better, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, sustainability. There, there's all kinds of things like that, that, that are going on. It's like, it's so difficult to navigate and, you know, you have, and I can't say for sure how thorough of a job or a good a job to do, but, you know, if you look at a place like Whole Foods, who is like, you know, they are like, well, we have the buying power to get right back to the source and like not rely on everything and really have, you know, this traceability that if this says this is this, then it's this. And, it, you know, and not everything, sometimes things just all kind of get mashed together and it's difficult for people to, sort of really discern and this week this product's coming from here and the next week that product's coming from somewhere totally different you know it's like it's coming from alaska now it's coming from washington now it's coming from southern california now it's coming from mexico and it's all the same thing but it's not oh it's the same thing right it's it's sort of it's different in 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 variation so that's so impossible for you know for chefs and restaurateurs and things to, to food service operators to you know, to, to track, it's very, you know, it's very, very difficult. So, you know, resources, you know, the, the best resource that I think professionals have is really trying to work with seafood companies who are really reliable, developing relationships with them, being very, very forthcoming about what their sustainability protocols are, and then inquiring about the traceability you know, of that and saying like, okay, I've got to, I've got to see the handling chain on all of these things, you know, to know, because if you don't ask, it's just stuff's just going to show up. Right. And you just get right. for it. And maybe you get some general provenance, you know, sort of information about it, but you know, it, it really, it, it really means that you have to be asking the questions and you have to be checking in, you have to make what your protocols known are. And if you don't know what, your protocols should be, um, you know, you really have to be having that conversation with your, with your seafood supplier and saying, Hey, this is a relationship. Um, and a certain amount of this is going to be built on, you know, on, on trust. And, um, you know, this is what we're trying to do. This is what we're trying to avoid and getting some, some guidance, uh, you know, on there, but you have to find, you know, great seafood suppliers who, who who are willing to do that. And there are, you know, um, you know, more and more two by C and four star, you know, or two in the, in the Bay area who are, who are great with that. But once you start getting into international territory, it becomes, it starts becoming, you know, quite, uh, quite difficult. So getting, using good resources, you know, like Monterey Bay Aquarium information that sort of guide at a little bit more macro level. And then within that saying, okay, well, these are categories we definitely don't want to do. And then look at the categories that you do want to work in and then really try to develop those, those relationships and, and those protocols. Because if you don't ask the questions, you won't get the answers and you'll just get the product and you really won't truly know how much you can stand behind that in terms of sustainability. Yeah. You know, it's really up to all of us who are on the front lines providing um, either the produce or the wine or the meal on your plate to insist on that 
for on our guests behalf. And if our guest is, is unaware of why we made that choice, then it's our responsibility to share with them the, why it tastes better, why it is better for our planet and why it got here in the fashion that it did to um, continue to reduce our carbon footprint. And, you know, it, it requires, um, often making the more challenging choice, right? You know, I, I always say that at the winery, the, the decision is easy, but the execution isn't, right? It's always easy to say, I'm I'm going to source responsibly, but doing that is where the hard work comes in. And um, so the the decisions are easy, but the execution is, is where, you know, the rubber hits the road and we have to hold our suppliers accountable and our team accountable to that, to, to deliver the the quality on the plate and to be thoughtful of, of how it got there. Yeah. Well, walking the walk is a lot more difficult than talking the talk. That's, you know, <laughs> that's for sure. And, you know, in terms of responsibility, you know, it's the gas, right. It's like the important thing to know across any kinds of, you know, food systems or systems in general, it's like, we all vote with our dollars, right? Like we support things with our, you know, with our, uh, you know, with our, with our dollars, when it comes to farming, farmers want to do the right thing. Like they understand by and large, you know, the impacts that they have on the soil and the earth better than anyone. So yeah. they want to make good decisions, and but they have to be economically motivated and not only motivated, but facilitated to do and make the right, you know, decisions. It's been such a race to the bottom. It's been such about the lowest common denominator in food for so long that this is how we have, you know, got such, we, to a place where we have such poor, you know, food systems, you know, in general, because it's always been, it's been about that. And, uh, you know, now there's a lot of trying to sort of build back to that and reconciling with the costs that, you know, that, that, that comes with that. And so, you know, every time we make a good purchasing decision, right, where we're, we're allowing and facilitating, and so a good food system to, you know, to continue forward. And we're, we're taking resources away from a bad food system. So it's really as simple as that. And, you know, we are ultimately voting with our guest dollars, right? So they're the ones who are putting the dollars in, uh, you know, that we're then, you know, spending. And so, you know, they rely on us to, to, to vote with those dollars responsibly and, and so, you know, we have to support, you know, um, good food systems, and then we have to find creative ways to, um, you know, as you said, to, to explain, um, you know, to them about some of the decisions we made, they're not there dining with us or any other restaurant to attend a, you know, a university seminar on, on good food systems. They're there to, to right. enjoy themselves and have a good time. But at the same time, we need to find ways to put into the narrative of what they're experiencing a little bit about what it is and how it got there and how we feel about it. Um, so that they can gain a little bit of knowledge and appreciation, uh, you know, for that. And if, if a lot of us are doing that, then it just becomes a little bit more ubiquitous that people are thinking more and more about this because it's easy to not pay attention to those things. It's harder to be engaged. It is definitely harder to, to be engaged, but, you know, I think 
I think we all feel a strong sense of commitment to um, to the planet and doing the right thing. And, you know, we, we've been um, doing a lot with Alexander Cousteau and her organization, Oceans 2050. And, you know, they're committed to restoring the oceans to their former glory and bounty by 2050. And they believe that that's possible. And, and a lot of what we talk about in the wine business today is it's not just sustainable farming, it's regenerative farming, right. because we, we don't just want to be here for the next 20 years, we want to be better in the next 20 years. And I think that that sourcing kind of comes across in, in seafood and in, in all of the um, food that we put into our mouths. And um, I, I see a growing sense of responsibility um, throughout the industry to source um, consciously. And, and I'm curious what, what you're seeing um, among your colleagues is hot trends in sustainable dishes that you hope are here to stay and, and actions that um, our listeners can take themselves as they're sourcing for their own restaurants. Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, I think one of the big things recently has been in recent years has been about an appreciation for a wider variety of ingredients. And I think seafood is probably like at the top of that, but also vegetables as well to create more biodiversity, right? It's like there Mm -hmm. isn't, you know, if you look at an average grocery store, it seems like there's like a lot of produce to choose from, but in reality, it, it's a very, very narrow sort of like margin in terms of the biodiversity that actually exists in the, you know, in, in the world of, you know, fruits and vegetables. So, um, you know, and same is true in, in seafood and, you know, in the small, tiny little corner of the restaurant industry where, where we exist, um, you know, in, in, in the, the fine dining world where, where a lot of sort of, you know, trends are created and sort of filtered down through the larger, um, food service industry. Um, you know, historically the number of, uh, of different seafood offerings and there has been very narrow, right. It's like right. the premium fish, it's Toro, you know, bluefin tuna and, you know, wild caught turbo and, you know, this type of caviar and langoustines, right. It's like a very, very narrow and specific luxury category. And I would say in, you know, that at the three Michelin star level, but at at the Michelin, like one, two and three star, uh, you know, level, which makes up, you know, a lot of restaurants and a lot of sort of influence in terms of what the greater restaurant, you know, industry is doing, right. It's been a little bit more narrow. And in recent years, it's really been about going down the food chain, you know, looking at, uh, you know, Stuart Brioza, we just cooked this uh, seafood sustainability dinner with at the progress as restaurant, the progress in San Francisco, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, you know, he opened anchovy bar and it's just like been championing, you know, all the different feeder fish, silver fish, blue fish, all these kinds of things that are usually like the feed source of like pounds and pounds and pounds of that kind of fish goes into making one pound of more premium, uh, I say in quotations, fish. Um, and so going down the food chain um, a little bit, you know, um, giving certain, uh, you know, categories of fish and seafood a break and turning attention to, you know, to other things. And again, that comes to educating our diners where if they come into a three Michelin star restaurant and they're like, where's the Toro? Where's this? Where's that? You know, these kind of premium things. Why are you giving me this ingredient, that ingredient? That is a lot of what I was saying earlier about re-educating 
you know, the guests of like, first of all, these things are delicious. And if you know how to prepare them properly, they're incredibly, you know, satisfying and gratifying. And also, you know, they are, they, this is, this is about supporting the better food systems. So we have to find creative ways to deliver value for our guests and at the same time, educate them in a really positive way, instead of being like, no, 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 sorry, you don't get that thing anymore. You have now it's this thing, but you know, that's been, I think a big trend is, is the chefs really saying like, Hey, let's broaden our horizons. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's really understand, you know, some seafood that we want to call attention to and good, uh, you know, fisheries and, 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 and systems. And we'll, we'll, let's do the work to do have really creative dishes. And then we'll take on the, the need to educate the guests about that. So I think that's the, that's really, you know, the, the trend is, is not relying on these like ultra premium sort of things um, as a crutch and being open to, and, and, and to creating that dialogue um, with the guests. I think that's a big, you know, I don't even know if it's a trend. I'd say it's more of a, it's more of a movement and it's a movement out of necessity, uh, you know, as, as well and responsibility. Um, so I think that's going to continue. And, um, and then, you know, it's really, it's, you know, for chefs who are so busy, uh, you know, running restaurants and thinking about their menus and creating dishes and being creative, but to say, to go that extra step, to learn more and to, to create deeper relationships and to build, you know, trust with people and understand that, that, you know, your seafood provider is not just someone you pick up the phone and you look at a list and say, give me this. It's a dialogue. It's a relationship. You know, it, we have to think of them as, you know, as artisans and, and we need to a lot like farmers needing to be, you know, motivated, you know, financially to make good, good decisions out in the fields. They need to be motivated financially to go make good decisions in terms of their, you know, their sourcing. Like we have to do the hard work and we have to demand that they also do the hard work, you know, too, and making sure that, that their sourcing and that their traceability and that, you know, the reliability of the information that they have is, is, is sound. And uh, I, I think that there's a, a real genuine interest in, um, you know, in chefs and it's not a sort of one of the more sexy sort of food trends in terms of how it is on, on the, the plate it was saying like, this is really in right now, or this is really hot right now, but this is more about a, a trend about responsibility. I think that's a, a great statement. It's a trend about responsibility and all of us being responsible as a, as a consumer or purveyor provider um, and, and doing that for, for the future generations, for sure. Um, you know, the other aspect of sustainability is, of course, our people and, you know, the hospitality business um, and farming are notoriously um, challenging on the people working in the industry. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, that component of sustainability in your organization as far as inclusivity, development, um, ethics and um, and your hiring process or um and how that works for you, what your focus is for your folks. Yeah. Do we have another hour or as <laughs> <laughs> a broad, as a broad topic, there's so much, there's so many components of that. We could, we could do yeah a whole another discussion on that, you know, on that alone. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's an incredibly important topic. I'm coming up on my 30th year, 
um, in, in the industry. I mean, I've never done anything but be a chef since I was a teenager. Um, it's, it's definitely been, you know, been my life and I wanted to do it since I was nine years old. So, you know, this is, um, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've worked in, you know, I've worked and lived in three different continents and I, you know, I've worked and cooked and, you know, traveled to and done lots of projects, you know, all, all over the world on every continent. And, uh, you know, I've been very, very fortunate to get a lot of exposure to a lot of different, you know, chefs and methods and restaurants and environments and styles of cuisine and, and think, you know, I've worked in traditional, um, you know, Japanese cuisine and classic French cuisine and modern European cuisine and modernist cuisine and, you know, California cuisine and all kinds of different, uh, you know, things. And, uh, you know, I, I was very fortunate to get to work for really a lot of the best people in the business and, in 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 where there was a lot of integrity, um, but, you know, also had a really, you know, I have a very tough coming up, you know, story as well. And I've kind of worked in this category of three Michelin star restaurants in pretty much the entirety of my, you know, of my career. And it's a very particular type of environment and, you know, it, it can be tough and it can be challenging. And I've definitely seen and, and, and experienced a lot of things that, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't do. Um, you know, myself, um, as, as a business owner and a chef running, you know, a kitchen and I've seen mostly good and a lot of bad and things that, you know, um, you know, great lessons and, um, and, uh, you know, I've seen lots of people wash out, you know, of, of our, of our world. And, you know, our little tiny corner of the world is of what we do is, is, you know, often equate to say like, um, you know, it's a lot like training for, the Olympics. I, I grew up around, um, the, the, the world of the Olympics, which is kind of a long story, but my dad was very, his business was really involved in all of, um, setting up all the Olympic gymnastic, um, uh, training facilities and, 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 and for the Olympics himself. So it was something I grew up with. So it's something I'm really familiar with is, uh, um, it was kind of the Olympic training, you know, types of things. And, Right. When you do something at that level, you are, it's about, it's a life dedication, you know, to, to doing that. And I think operating the three mission star restaurant is a lot like doing that, where it is a very singular pursuit and you, you know, you're training and you, you live it and you breathe it. And the people who work there for whatever period that they do that, you know, that style of thing, whether it's for a couple of years or, or they dedicate their, their career to it you know, every night at the restaurant, we're trying to get on the podium. We're trying to win gold. Like it's that, that's our, you know, equivalent, you know, to that. So, you know, it, it become, it can be very consuming and very difficult to have a kind of work-life balance when you are doing that. When, you know, if someone is training for the Olympics, you, you don't ever hear them talking about the work-life balance that they're trying to achieve. You know, you, they tell you about, you know, the goal that they've set for themselves and that they'll do anything, you know, they'll, they're going to push themselves to, uh, to, to, to achieve that. And so, you know, how can you have a whole career and how can you operate a restaurant in a business, you know, with, uh, you know, over a hundred employees in a way where you can keep that high level of execution, um, and still make it a, uh, you know, a sustainable way for people to live and to make, you know, uh, you know, um, a living. And so that's a big transition that we've been going through as an industry in our little corner of it is, is like trying to have the best of both worlds. And, you know, really first and foremost, it just starts with the environment, which is, 
we're very much a teaching and mentoring environment. And if you can change that, then you can change so many other things to make an environment that is um, really supports the staff and their learning and their their education. Um, And so it's a lot about explaining always your why the why behind everything that you do and whether that's a small thing or the why we do this on a larger level is like, you have to take the time to explain and educate why. And, you know, my wife and I have this very simple philosophy, which is we are here to train the next generation of thoughtful leaders for our industry. And so we are trying to educate them on topics like regenerative agriculture on seafood sustainability on hospitality, on, you know, community support and all, on all kinds of different, you know, things, but how to create a working environment, um, that where people are supporting each other and, and, uh, and, and, and working together for a, a common goal, but are, are, are there for each other. Yeah. And I think that that that's important by providing the why and taking the time for the why. I think sometimes one of our most valuable resources is time and taking the time to answer why and to um, to stick with your core values, as you said, whether it's, you know, regenerative farming, sustainable seafood, all of those things we've just got to maintain focus on and not slide from, because I think it's important to show the up and coming next generation that, you know, we're committed because we need them to be committed to. Well, they're watching, right? The up and coming generation is watching, right? They, they've grown up with these topics as being front of mind. We, in our generation have sort of, um, come, you know, come into these transitionarily, um, you know, they are growing up with them instilled. And so, you know, we're, you know, I, I feel very much like the generation that I'm a part of is a, is a transition generation from how things have been done in, in, you know, into the past and ushering in how things have to be done, you know, into the future. And, you know, very, very quickly, the generation that's sort of grown up with these things sort of implicitly at front of mind, they're going to be making the decisions, you know, they are in many ways and will be, you know, more so in, in the future. And, you know, they'll, if we're not doing those things, they're going to be very quick to push us out of the way to lead the way forward. So we have to be sort of really conducive to helping them, um, you know, begin to take those, those leadership roles on. Yeah, I think we just need to be our best every single day, every moment, right? Um, well, Kyle, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate having you on and, and sharing um, your passion um, and also some great, great tips on how um, all of us can be thoughtful about our decision process and um, and just you know, doing the hard work, um, which you definitely are doing and, and the results are kind of fantastic. So thank you so much for yeah, your time so and for, and for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really uh, appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to speak and also to talk on these topics. So thanks for giving me the time. Yeah.